the podcast starts. Hello, dear listener. This is T.D. Velasquez, but as always, you can call me Dan. Happy Halloween weekend. We're back. This is the beginning of the second series of And Now the Podcast Starts. Now, I've decided to call it the second series. Our first series finished in early 2021. We've done a ton of episodes since then. Well, maybe not quite a ton, but a few. Um, But they were kind of scattered and randomly uh, released irregularly. So, therefore, I don't think it was really a series. Now, though, we are going to be back on a weekly basis into the new year at least. So, I thought that this could be our series too. We're rarely going to be um, the four main hosts all together now it's kind of going to be more rotating so this episode there'll be three of us next week there'll be two and it'll change from week to week as in the previous series we're going to be joined by some occasional special guests and special guest hosts um, and we're going to be looking into some of our regular strands of interest such as questions of horror such as revisitations of classic movies, such as missed classics that certain of us have never got round to seeing somehow. And we may eventually get back to some of our early drivers, such as looking at the films of Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing, and looking at the the latest two Halloween movies. As you may remember, we put a lot of effort into covering all of the Halloween movies when there were only 11 of them. Um, But now there are 13 of them, and some of us, including myself, have not got round to seeing the most recent two, so we're not in a position to talk about them yet. Um, But we are going to do that. I have to confess, if you're wondering, sure, I'm a fan of those movies, um, and I've devoted a lot of my life to them, but I've heard such mixed things about the most recent pair that um, I'm not sure I can bear to watch them just yet. I'm biding my time, but we will cover them eventually. I'm just not sure when. But there'll be plenty of other things that we'll be talking about in the meantime. This week on the show, I am going to be joined in just a few moments by film tutor and writer Kirsty Warrow and writer and critic Ian Winterton to discuss this year's movie, Men, by director Alex Garland. Now, if you'd never heard of or seen men then i can give you a sum up of its content i say its content rather than its plot because it's not really a plot driven film as you'll discover the movie concerns a young widow by the name of harper marlowe played by jesse buckley recovering from the recent traumatic apparent suicide of her husband james played by papa asiadu she travels to a remote English village called Cotson, um, where she's spending a, a period of recovery. She rents a house there. However, all is not quite what it seems in the village, and her trauma is going to haunt her through the movie, particularly in terms of her relationships with all the men in the village who are eerily similar. In fact, they're all played by one actor, Rory Kinnear, although. Harper doesn't really seem aware of this at first, but the um, the events in the film become progressively more nightmarish and more related to her initial trauma. 
Now a few months ago Kirsty and I discussed the teaser trailer for this movie so I'm not going to play that, it's a quite oblique teaser trailer but here is the full trailer for the movie which gives you a bit more of a sense of what it's like um, and following this Kirsty, Ian and myself will discuss the movie in spoiler free fashion for 20 minutes or so and then following that we're going to go into full spoilers I will put a time code in the show notes to let you know where uh, the spoilers are going to come in if you want to avoid them. So, enjoy. Hello. Hi. Mrs. Marlowe, yes? Harper, yes. Do, come in. The words I have to say. It's a beautiful house. Will it just be you staying? Or? Excuse me? Mrs. Marlowe? No. Until you give your love, there's nothing more that we can do. Apple from the garden? Yeah, it was delicious. No, 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 no. Mustn't do that. Forbidden fruit. Oh, God, sorry, I... I, I'm joking. Oh. Tormented. It feels more like... Haunted. Yeah. Something happened. My husband went upstairs to our balcony and let himself go. You must wonder why you drove him to it. Why? I didn't drive him to it. I thought it would be true. But if you had given him the chance to apologize... He'd still be alive. What? A man followed me out of the woods. He was stalking me. What makes you say that? I saw him twice. Twice? I don't know if he saw you once. Play a game. You hide. I'll see. You must feel an awful sense of guilt. Stay away from me. What are you doing? What are you? Okay, so dear listener, to discuss men, I have here. Kirsty Warrow. Hello, Kirsty. Hello. You and I discussed the trailer for this a few months ago, and you sent me a me- yeah. You sent me a message saying, "Can we d- discuss the trailer for Nope and Men?" I'm really excited <laughs> about it, and I said, "What's Nope and Men? Never heard of it." Um, but, um, but at least I now know the answer. Half the answer to that question. I haven't seen Nope yet, but. Um, so yeah, we... I have seen both. So yeah, I will. I've yeah. not seen no either. Oh well, well, it's dejected Ian. I haven't introduced you, yeah. so we're also joined by Ian Winterton. God bless you. Say hello, Ian. Hello. I haven't seen no. <laughs> and you actually missed the opportunity to say hello, Ian. You know, I was listening to a podcast the other day. I've listened to a few episodes of it. I won't name it. Um, and I got really irritated by the hosts doing that at the beginning of every single one, and it's put me off. <laughs> <laughs> put me off. 
but it's, so that is a dead joke now. It's a dead it's joke. I will, I will never do it, do it again. It's, it's, no. it's, uh, it's not funny, even ironically, because I've heard no. doing it ironically too often. Okay, it so, is an X joke. Okay, we we don't need to do that joke. Okay, call me an ambulance. You're an ambulance. It's it's there. <laughs> <laughs> Surely you can't be serious. But anyway, um, uh, right. So we are talking about men. Kirsty, I think you wanted to talk about it before it was before you'd seen it. And um, we discussed yeah. Alex Garland and your love for Alex Alex Garland stuff on the show before. Yeah. Um. But Ian, it was actually yourself who kind of prompted us to do this because you decided you you so wanted to see the film, you, you bought the DVD. Um, what uh, can I ask? What prompted you to to jump on it? Um, because Alex Garland, um, he's I, I, I'm I guess I'm a fan in that his movies are always always interesting. I'm always glad they've been made. I don't. Uh, we'll, we'll come on to what I think about his individual films and this film. Um, but it just looked really cool. And I heard it got very mixed reviews and I just thought it looks, I, I love a bit of folk horror and I love, and I love, uh, I love Rory Kinnear and it looked lovely. And I really loved, you know, I've always, I've never, I've never hated anything Alex Garland's done. Um, so I thought that's worth nine ninety nine or whatever it was from Tesco's. Um, <laughs> and then, and then we actually watched it at your house, yeah, in the and, real world on a, on a, on your projector. So it was yeah, extra wow. Can I say that obviously it was l- lovely to have you come round to my house, which had never happened before, and we got to watch this film on the projector while eating a massive pizza, which you brought with you. So yeah, fact, yeah. Uh, we, we got to boys night it, yes it's, uh, it, it was it felt like a true cinema experience because it was a nice big screen but also we yeah. had huge huge amounts of pizza yeah. so I, it was incredibly pleasurable from that point of view yeah okay can i, can I just what explain a, what a, my we were watching a michael bay movie we were watching an alex garland movie no, no. yeah <laughs> while eating like... pizza and chugging lager but, <laughs> yes we struck a balance kirsty what were you going to yeah. say I was going to just, I just thought it might be nice to sort of contrast my experience watching uh, Men. So um, I watched Men at the cinema, I think the day it came out, with a load of my students um, because we oh, study wow. ex machina um, for one of their exam papers. And part of what they have to consider is the idea of, you know, maybe potentially the films that we study as being products of auteurs. So, you know, obviously I talked to them about, you know, kind of his, his oeuvre or his themes and his kind of aesthetics um and then you know we we went to see men to see whether or not it fit in <laughs> but most of them kind of again no spoilers kind of came out just and they looked like they like you know completely shell-shocked <laughs> just like what have i just watched <laughs> having seen the film wonderful. I, wonderful i wouldn't entirely blame them for that response so let's talk about it in a spoiler-free fashion yeah. for 20 minutes and imagine if imagine so what age are your students? Are they A-level age? Yeah. I'm going to be very generational and say, so I assume they've probably watched a lot of Marvel movies and and they're just about to embark on their sort of cinematic... Because I remember going to uni. Yeah. And I had, that, when I was 18, at uni was when I watched started watching actual good movies. Yeah, I think, I think the ones... Because that, I yeah. was told to. The ones who came... <laughs> who decided because it wasn't a like we didn't mm. make them go 
Um, the ones who came with the sort of slightly more sin illiterate ones anyway. Yeah, yeah. So they're, you know, kind of, yeah. But even not, so... Not massive Marvel fans, I would say. But yes, no, no. certainly... You know what I mean? They, yeah. Maybe a film like this, which makes even people that watch lots of films go, what the fuck am I watching? Yeah. Imagine it must have been brilliant to... to yeah. uh like I remember showing my students a razor head and uh, they well, they looked at me like I was a pervert from there. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Well, my, my course, they'd already done um, uh, and Chandelier and Large Door and Caligari. Oh, right. So yeah. so they're fa- fairly, you know, kind of okay with weird stuff. I, but, I would expect yeah. nothing yeah. less from you, Kirsty, to be honest. <laughs> Sorry? I would, I would expect nothing less from you, bless you. I'm so glad that I, <laughs> that's what you think. Um, I, <laughs> I'll take that one. I, I remember being the only person in my sixth form uh, media studies class who'd seen the razor head before the, you know, before we started term and uh, mm. and having a, a bit of a, a rapport, a quick rapport with the tutor because I knew about things like that. But, um, but yes, uh, most of the people in the group would not have been able to take that film in the early stages of uh, A-levels, just as they wouldn't probably have responded very well to men. Um, it would have no. might have been a bit of a shock. <laughs> so let's talk a little yeah. spoiler-free about what we think about the film and, and what we whether we would recommend it to people or how we recommend people should approach it. I think, Kirsty, you should take the lead on this. So I think... <laughs> Ladies first. <laughs> well, it seems uh... appropriate. Oh, seems appropriate. I was just commenting to Dan before, um, uh, Ian, about feeling sort of slightly outnumbered on this discussion. Um, so, well, how uh, yeah, <laughs> I know, indeed. Um, but maybe we should just like you know just lose one of you and just have four of yeah. you. Yeah, um, I look like, like Dan now. Like you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I yeah, kind of a fan of Alex Garland's work generally. Um, and I find his you know his style and his themes and what he's got to say about the world kind of quite interesting and it resonates with me and he's obviously somebody who likes to you know um play with the feminist kind of themes and ideas and purports to you know kind of or subscribe to those values so that you know kind of I like um when I saw the trailer for men I you know, it stroked me because it's English countryside and pagan imagery and folk horror and horroriness, and it's by Alex Garland. So mm-hmm. um, I was intrigued and excited um, and, you know, curious about the resonance of the title. I also love Rory Kinnear, who is just brilliant in everything that I've seen him in. He is. So I was very excited about that. So I'm kind of pleased to say that the film for me didn't disappoint Um it's it's really nice to see pagan symbols not being used as just you know kind of solely as images of evil yeah um within a film and it playing with those images kind of more thoughtfully um i liked its ambiguity i like the fact that it it's clearly highly symbolic not you know, I know that was one of the criticisms I kind of read of about the film at the time. Was it's just you know the kind of metaphors are so obvious, but I didn't find they were, you know, there's room for interpretation within I think what he was trying to say with the film um, and the space that he left um, for different kind of readings or different symbolisms. I really 
really liked. Um, I thought it looked beautiful, like the use of kind of the green and the red, um, which really reminded me of Vertigo, actually, just in terms of the, you know, the kind of oppositional colours. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, I don't want to, I, so much of what I want to say sort of involves spoilers, so I don't want to talk too much. Jessie Buckley, I thought was amazing, and her dress, that pink dress with the black trim, oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I just I spent most of the, most of the film going. Oh, this is a, a brutal film that says lots of really interesting things. But where can I get that dress? <laughs> <laughs> she, she is amazing. The, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. She, I mean, she's a, a fantastic screen presence, and and so is Kinnear. And and basically, they have to be great because there's not a lot of competition in this film. No. I was about to say how how spoilerific it is to say who Kinnear plays. Well, I, I, is that I in the trailers? It's, it is in the trailers. It, it, it it's yeah. well trailers. known that Kinnear plays more than one character. That's all right then. Yeah. yeah. Well, he plays all, all, all of the male characters except for one, doesn't he? That's the, <clears> except for James. Uh, I guess so. Are there not even any, like, maybe like a couple of extras who are male? No, no. Because no. there's a couple of small female characters who, who just have a couple of lines, like the police officer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, there's a police officer, and then there's and then there's, there's her, her friend, and then that's kind of it. And that's I kind of like the sort of scope of it in terms of it just fit, like it, you know, it has that really contained sort of feel that a lot of British horrors do. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it made me think about do we, have we talked about Broadlands? No, not in detail. We have not in mentioned detail, but, it. But yeah, it kind of I think that sort of the emphasis on the church setting and the sort of kind of the way that. Yeah, I mean they're two very very different films, but the the men's kind of use of sort of cosmic horror aesthetics I really liked as well. Like just sort of sense of horrible, creepy, Ooh. you know, universal, celestial. Yes, yeah, yeah. It's, it's really intriguing. It's an interesting thing that cosmic horror and folk horror kind of are the same, but but feel very different. But there's yeah. an intersection going on, and uh, yeah, they're 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 all about the kind of the relationship between the human and the universal, I suppose. Mm. But yeah. in, in different, they use different kinds of nature. Um, Ian, uh, what can you say in a non-spoiler way about your thoughts on the film? Um, I didn't know who Jesse Buckley was because I, I I'm an old man. I'd never heard of her before. You're not alone, Ian. Uh, when I first saw Jesse Buckley, it was only. F- four years ago when she was in Judy with Renée Selwiger and I thought oh who's, who's that very good supporting actress there's something about her she'll go far and then looked her up and realised she's already a massive star and a sad lead role yeah. in tons of independent films yeah. and is a musician and she's brilliant yeah absolutely Yeah, well in, in a similar way when It's a Sin um, came out and then suddenly Ollie, Ollie Alexander was duetting with uh, Elton John I was oh, yeah. like, how the hell has that happened? And because uh, I didn't realise Ali Alexander was a very famous pop star. Well, yeah, before I... he was in it for sin. Um, oh. So I, <laughs> I think, I think, I think of all the things, I think music has fallen away first in my getting old. I do not <laughs> listen to new music. It's weird because I got into music late. Like I was the sort of kid that got bored of music if it was on Swap Shop or whatever, and was into it till about 16, and now it's the first thing to go, is how it feels. 
I'm just not bothered about music or going to gigs. I used to like it, and now I couldn't give a shit. Anyway, slight slight uh, diversion. Slight tangent. Men. Slight Men. Tangent, yeah. <laughs> Men. Um, I. It's weird. It's been two weeks since we watched it, and I'm still processing it. Um, which is quite a thing to say for a movie. Um, mm-hmm. I think largely I like the feel of it and I like the idea of it. And that's quite common response for me for, to an Alex Garland joint. Um, I like the idea of it sometimes more than the execution of it. And with this, I thought there's so many good things and good elements. And I still try to work out in the service of what exactly is it? Was it? entirely satisfying as a movie for me i don't think it was because i laughed when i don't think i was supposed to laugh and so did you dan so don't don't sit there pretending you didn't (laughs) Uh, well there were some elements there were some elements i was like this this is funny and i don't think it's supposed to be funny There's, 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 there's there's things being grotesque and a bit what the fuck and then there's dipping into yeah, this is this does look like a funny Apex Apex Twin video now. Not to say there would I mean, basically typical fashion I'm homing in on the negative. I also loved loads of things about it. And I think it's um, fair to say, Ian, we were sufficiently uncertain about the things that you've just mentioned that, that we don't really even know whether it was inappropriate to laugh at certain points. Maybe it wasn't, I don't know. Um mm, I mean, for yeah. me I, I I'll give a very short review. I think it's worth seeing. I think it's beautiful. The cinematographer Rob Hardy has, has been Alex mm. Garland's cinematographer since at least Ex Machina. Um, mm. And the, his yeah, work yeah. is always beautiful. The music by Jeff Barrow and Ben Salisbury. Uh, Je- uh, my favourite band is Portishead, by the way. Jeff Barrow um, is from Portishead. I am just elated that he's got a mm. late stage career in movies. Um, it's really atmospheric. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the fact that you were with me and we were eating pizza went a long way to it being a very pleasurable cinematic experience. But, you know, I, yeah, I, enjoy, yeah, yeah. I enjoyed the movie a lot. Kinnear is brilliant. Yes, at the end, there was a kind of sense of what was what was that meant to add up to. However, there are some imager, images in it uh, that... Um, well, the, the, there's a lot of beauty and a lot of dark imagination that's that, that's straightforwardly recommendable. There's also some kind of gonza gruesomeness, which kind of mm. reminds me of Brian Yulzner sort of 1980s body horror stuff, which I think is probably mm. it, it. It's kind of got to be seen, even though. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm yeah. not sure if I need it to see, it, but you know. Um, it's not, I'm not well, sure no, I'll watch it again, but you know, but I'm glad it's in the movie. If the DVD cover was full of the word groundbreaking and outstanding, and then when you go, when you dig down into those reviews, they're talking about the special effects. Because right. um, they, they are groundbreaking and outstanding special effects. There's absolutely no, hmm. there's no question about that. They're, I mean, it is worth seeing for the, for the special effects, like, if nothing else. And it's worth seeing for lots of other things. That's I, a, a rare get, thing. I think the main thing is it doesn't add, it, it doesn't add up to a story that much for me. Not quite. Um, mm. Discuss. Um, and then well, and then when it then the bits it does have as a story 
feel a little bit too slight. Like, I don't give a shit about relationship stuff if you're talking about, you know, humanity in relation to the infinite and nature and everything. So it's it's a bit like, I don't know, like Midsummer suffered from this. I loved the look of Midsummer and it was very, very funny um, and horrific. And, <laughs> and then it, but it came down to a sort of teen, oh, my boyfriend's being a bit, and it was a bit, oh, can we not be a bit bigger than that? It's the fucking Wicker Man is what you're trying to... You're trying to... The Wicker Man's not worried about relationships and teenage bullshit like that. It's it's bigger. <laughs> um, so, I don't know. It's... Uh, so, so ultimately, oh, okay. I'm, glad, I'm glad I saw it. And I won't be, like... I won't be eBaying my uh, DVD because I wouldn't mind sticking it on and freaking my kids out like I did with Midsummer. And, um... <laughs> uh, Ian, you've uh, shown Midsummer to your kids. No, no, I was yeah, well, you've got a very small child. <laughs> no, no, he, he, when he was, no, no, the, the middle child when he was twelve. So okay. Yeah. Not my seven-year-old. I'm not mad. <laughs> but um, no, just midsummer. Sure. He just thought he was. He, he was actually. He was there going. I mean, he did nearly throw up at the midpoint, and I thought, oh, maybe I'm going to have to turn this off. I went. I said, do you want to turn it off? He went, no. But he literally looked like he was shell shocked after it. It's absolutely yeah. brilliant. And he was just running around telling all his friends they've all got to see it on Netflix since. So I've started a craze for 12 year olds watching Midsummer. Well, we're probably going to need to move into spoilers shortly. So just let's mm. let's just have a couple more thoughts. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll say something and then Kirsty, if you want to, if if you've got anything spoiler free that you still haven't said, then you yeah. Know, well, let me say my bit. Um, I would just say that. Uh, with regard to the Midsummer thing, and I think it applies to men as well, it's kind of a question of which end of the telescope you're looking down. As in, mm. whether the emotional uh, story being told is bigger than the universe, if you know what I mean, from the mm. point of view of the person it's happening to. Um, and I'd also say that this movie, we talked about stress effects being extraordinary, things like that. I, I think that makes it generically extraordinary because you don't get mm. that sort of thing mostly in folk horror. Folk horror is mostly about atmosphere and mystery, which is one of the reasons mm. I love it. But this kind of goes into something else. Um, and yeah, I yeah. think that, that's that that's an interesting kind of juxtaposition. So um, I, it's, it's a film I definitely watch if only, if only to have conversations about. You know, it's it's definitely worth talking about. Kirsty, is there anything you'd like to say before you go yeah. spoiler? Um, it's a difficult one, actually, because Ian, what you were saying about it, you know, not finding it had a kind of a big enough story. Um, like, and again, I kind of go back to Vertigo. Like, Vertigo kind of, you know, it's like a... Scorsese talked about Vertigo as sort of being like the plot is really thin. It's just this 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 thing that you hang other things on, mm-hmm. and I kind of think that Men is like that for me in terms of it's you know it's about bigger things and a sort of plausible story. Mm. Um, but that idea of you know not having for you a big enough you know kind of resonance or whatever or can't remember what, he, what it was you said but I remember I think my my the thought that I had when you were saying that is just that 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 actually for me and I don't want to make it gender already but here we are um it you know as a woman <laughs> it feels like a really big story like mm. a really big relatable universal story that taps into you know something that a lot of women 
I know relate to, which is that sort of feeling of not feeling safe, of not mm. feeling like you can express yourself or or be in the world uh, unbothered by <laughs> by men. Mm. Um, and, mm. and, you know, and so there is, you know, for a lot of us, a sort of really primal fear around some of the things that mm. on place with. Um, so for me, it does feel like a really elemental, large story, mm. even though that on the face of it, you know, it's about one woman who goes to the countryside and just won't be fucking left alone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> but I think, I think as a man, I'd have been fucking terrified in that village as well. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, but again, well, this is one, I, one bloke, and he looks the same, and you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I get, I get that. I get but, um, that. Um, yeah, that was that was one thing. Um, like all the all the men being played by Rory Kinnear, uh, apart from you know her her ex, mm. um, from London, but um, that that was effective. But then it was strange when we did see a woman like the female police officer and things like that. That kind of made me go, okay, well. Yeah, there are well, people, and she's got a mate on the other end of the phone. So, but also she isn't aware that they're all played by Rory Kinnear. Is she? That's you know that is they're all played by Rory Kinnear for the audience's benefit, so that we can look at them all and think, ah, yeah. th- these are all linked by something. It's you know, and it, it, it these characters are linked by being men. But if they were just played by a load of different male actors, we wouldn't the the connection would not be apparent to us. But because they're yeah. all yeah. by the I same mean, it is men, they're all the same. <laughs> well, I, I don't know if it can be read that reductively, but we'll get into well, that. Well, I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure there, you know, there are probably plenty, plenty of people out there who read it exactly like that. And both, yeah. you know, both women and, and men, you know, yeah. watching it, kind of looking that in, into that. I'm not sure it's quite as simple as that, but I think, you no, know, no, but... it's definitely deliberately trying to occupy a symbolic and kind of dreamlike space so that yeah. you know you can as spectators we can kind of look at it and think about it and think about what the film is it, saying to us and how it relates to our experiences so that we're not it, it reminded me of going to a remote village and this is going to come across as sort of english people an englishman being anti anti-welsh but this is just something that generally <laughs> happened i went i went to i went to a little village when i was going to visit port Marion. And where we stayed was in the middle of nowhere in North Wales. And I swear, I kept turning around and thinking the same bloke was following me around the pub. <laughs> and I realised, no, there's just a very strong DNA thread through most of mm. the people in this pub. And it was, and that, that was what I was reminded of. So it was almost like, well, they all look the same because <laughs> it's a small village. <laughs> yeah. And um, then, so it, so it, 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 it was, I mean, it, basically they made the decision to go right, let's uh, let's make everyone look the same. Let's well, let's make well, them all played by Rory Kinnear. Well, and, uh, and she doesn't realise. Well, she doesn't realise because in her world they're not all played by actors or an actor. They're just people mm-hmm. she meets. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. It reminds me that you know Garland is not unfamiliar with making a big gesture. To provoke the audience into having a conversation. I remember when yeah, yeah. Dread came out, which is a movie I love, which he wrote and didn't is not credited with directing, but is uh, is apparently the director of much of it. And yeah. people said to him, 
you know, George Dredd is like a fascist. He's he's delivering summary violent justice. Why 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 doesn't your movie deal with that theme more thoughtfully? And he just said, because it doesn't need to. <laughs> you're you're already talking about it just because we did it. Um, mm. Yeah, yeah. That is a valid approach, I think. Um, okay, shall we go into spoilers then? Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. I feel so, like if we're going to spoilers, we can talk about it, and I can start processing what I actually think about this movie. Well, <laughs> just yeah. strange. As ever, and as ever, we all just dissolve into group therapy because that's what yeah. this podcast seems to do, especially with this movie. Mm-hmm. I saw Robert Kinnear's cock and balls a lot. <laughs> you, well, you should. Yes. Yeah. Or oh, CGI yeah. versions of them, anyway. Well, maybe. I think he's he's you know he's a method actor. It you know he he wouldn't he'd go it's on more the way. The, it was more it was more the, it was more the, it was more the, when he was giving birth. Yeah, well you, his, you you saw his, his vagina, vagina a lot, and I don't think that was really yeah, yeah. his. But no, no, knows. that's what I mean. And and the and the cock and balls above the vagina, I don't yeah. think this is either. But incredible graphics. But no, but graphics. I. I I think it was really him wandering around naked in the gardens, for instance. So I don't think he was shy. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, So who who wants to take point on this therapy session then? Well, I just just wanted to just start off by pointing out to the listener the first thing that that you two have talked about when it got to the spoilers. Zone is you know the kind of you know biological mechanics of yes yes. Well, I was. Well, yeah, but I was actually going to, that's something that I, that was one thing I made a note of is, 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 was it, it, it was, it's, I mean, like you said before, Dan, it's body horror. And so he's gone for body horror and it's birth. So mm-hmm. it's not like he's, he's made birth this grotesque thing. So I just wonder as a, dis, as a discussion that to me, I mean, I'm not religiously pagan, but to me, I understand, you know, birth and, you know, the the the, the goddess being rotund and pregnant and big-hipped, and, and it's a celebration of birth. And this was like birth as an abomination. It is how it seemed. It wasn't like a, it wasn't like all happy. It was to horrify a woman. Yeah. It was, a, it was then, horrifying, you know, wasn't it? So I wonder, I wonder, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying there's any easy answers, but like, it was basically going, oh, look, just imagine if Rory Kinnear repeatedly gave birth to himself over and over again. How gross. Because mm. birth's gross. Ugh, disgusting. Vaginas. Um, but was it not, you was know. it not, the, just the kind of, the, the idea of the kind of masculine birth as something that's abject rather than the kind of feminine birth? I didn't feel like he was necessarily going to go down the route of going, oh, God, birth is disgusting. It was like, here is this naked, middle-aged man giving birth to a, a fully grown version of himself that's pretty gross <laughs> yeah. again and again yeah yeah but i but yeah. again like i said in the, in the service of what like in the service of we've got some cool special effects to uh try out yeah what it kind of came down to well to i me. mean it's quite a so, horror movie i thought I, I, yeah i mean well he's playing with the ideas of the kind of green man isn't he and the kind of green man is a, a symbol of rebirth and fertility yeah, yeah. um and then that I mean, the way that I sort of thought about it was that it's, you know, that it's a big, it's a big conversation around how the the symbols of the kind of the green man, the shilling and the gig are used, and particularly around, mm. interestingly, around churches, that there's a sort of, you know, kind of nobleness 
um, about the way the green man is used, whether the gig isn't used in the same kind of way. Um, mm-hmm. But we have that um, kind of almost upset to, you know, kind of the, the patriarchalness of it. So it just perpetuates. Um, mm. And yeah, in in offensive work, it doesn't need women to perpetuate itself. It is completely self-sustaining. Yeah. Um, it was kind of how I started thinking about That's it. That's really, really but... interesting. Mm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the, um, that makes sense as a symbol the, uh, for the the perpetuation of the patriarchy. Um, it, I mean, it's it's strange how. Um, I I think Ian and I maybe because we're men, maybe because we're just freaked out, and it switches part of your brain off. It's such an extraordinary image, but that explanation mm. is very cogent. I'd also say in in response to Ian's point about making birth horrific, you know, there's been tons of horror movies that have made female birth horrific, um, mm-hmm. and in a way maybe this was just. Uh, just kind of um, a, a little bit of payback for that. It it kind of um, yeah yeah maybe it, you know a lot lots of women in movies have been forced to uh, in an undignified fashion give birth in a horrific way to a monster or whatever. Um, so so now yeah. we're making Rory Kinnear do it and uh, you know yeah but 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 again why doesn't marry up for me is I don't know I always see paganism as I understand it as what we what we're calling paganism here anyway which is you know British well European rooted animism would you call it because paganism technically means anything that's not Christian but if we're talking if we're talking if we're talking the traditions that we know of in the British Isles and elsewhere the Green Man and Sheila Nagig and all that then isn't one of the things about them that they're not very patriarchal, that they're about circles and they're about nature, they're about yeah, yeah, yeah. About but it's everything. about, about the god yeah. and the goddess and the moon and the stars and the yeah. and so so having the guy who you know I mean the visuals were amazing the green man sticking his you know sticking sticking leaves in his face and just looks amazing but but then. I just, I just felt there was nothing. I felt it was very surface because what's underneath this man who's the if the whole community is into this sort of paganism, then why are they being such shithead patriarchal bastards? And why yeah, are they giving birth? Not, and why yeah. are they talking? Why are they? Why are they harassing a woman? If, if they're harassing a Catholic policeman, then that makes sense, you know. Um, but if they're harassing I'm, a nice woman from from the city, why? If they're well, all into this cool, you know, if they're into the sort of much more healthy religion, that's not all patriarchal. But, yeah, but that's not I I, just, for me. It was much more. It's symbolic. It's kind of. It's not. I, I didn't think that it was meant to be read literally, as in here is this community of of men who all look the same, who are who are pagan. It was just using mm. the story, as you said, using the story to sort of have to use some of those symbols um, to have you know, or to provoke thought around the meaning of those symbols and the way in which, you know, they kind of relate to historical and contemporary, you know, kind of gendered relationships. Yeah, I, I didn't think any of it was to be taken literally, really. But it, I suppose... Well, no. 
Um, <laughs> but you don't necessarily know that from the start of the film. No. So therefore, it, it's possibly yeah. a bit disappointing when you, you get far into it and, and you go, ah, oh, right. So it's not going to, you know, it's not going to all come together like a traditional story. Um, no, I mean, uh, it's more of a mood piece, wasn't it? it yeah. It, 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 I mean, maybe I'm just frustrated because it feels like it's going to have a story. And he doesn't yeah. have a story. I, and that, I think that that often yeah. doesn't matter. Like Mulholland Drive doesn't have a story. It's yeah. a mood piece. So I guess I just found this a little bit less satisfying. Yeah, I think I think in comparison to his other pieces as well, I think that it definitely has less, you know, clearly defined narrative. I think there are mm. always things to think about and you know, sites for interpretation and kind of ambiguity, but I think it's it is definitely less. Oh, actually, yeah, this is right, yeah, readable. This is something I wanted to ask you, Kirsty. If you didn't know that this was an Alex Garland film, would you think it was? It doesn't seem to me to have a lot in no. common with his other films. No, um, I think it does thematically, but I don't like. And I think there's the you know he like he likes um, natural imagery a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I might I, have guessed yeah, it was like, a Ben Wheatley. No, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it does. Ben, does ben feel, Wheatley's feel... last movie kind of missed the mark in a similar kind of way for me. Yeah. Was that the one? Yeah, that... no, it does. It does feel, yeah, in, in the earth, one. into the earth, yeah. Yeah, the into one, the earth. The one yeah. made during yeah. the pandemic. I didn't see it's that. Just, in, in again, the... oh, it's, it's worth saying, but it, again, it's it, for me, it's it, uh, it, it, it wasn't quite the sum of its parts. It, yeah. They, they, they kind of go off. They go off the reservation in a similar kind of way that I don't mind it when a film goes off the reservation if I feel like they really fucking earned it. But some films go off the reservation. It's a bit like you're kind of doing that. We woke up and it was all a dream. Like you're Mm. just throwing shit. And this film was like that as well. Just throwing stuff that didn't, you just subconsciously didn't feel like it was coming out of anything earned. It felt Mm. a little bit adolescent in that way for me. I think, yeah. Oh, by the way, Kirsty, I don't know if did you think of Debbie Beach at all while you were watching this film? Do you remember Debbie? Uh, it was at university with those Debbie Beach made a film. I, I, I didn't. Do you, do, you <laughs> remember, do you remember that she made yes. a film called After? She made a, a, yeah. In, <laughs> I hadn't I hadn't thought about that at all. Yeah. actually. In, um, in which an, but now in, in which an adult woman gave birth to herself, and it was a comment on the perpetuation, the mm. way we perpetuate ourselves, and the same. Yeah. I guess the same mistakes was made, but it was all kind of symbolic. And this film yeah. felt very similar. Which to film was, Which film was that? It was a movie. Oh, it's a, 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 a student film. A short film that a cult. <laughs> oh, I see, right. A, a yeah. student friend of ours made when we were at uni. So. Uh, um, yeah, so she was ahead of her time. Yeah. Well, yeah, I always wanted to kind of um, just kind of go back to what Ian was saying in that, you know, I kind of, I, I do get what you're saying though about the kind of it, it, the way that it doesn't, or, you know, and I think in some ways there's a sort of pleasure in not knowing exactly what it is that we're meant to think or what it's trying to say. But I also think that there's, there's also, and I think some of his other work also suffers from this, which is the, 
um, you know, kind of the feminist values, but as as written by you know a white middle class wealthy male who you know wants to have those values, but it ends yeah. up not saying anything that's particularly <laughs> revolutionary or you know. And can we can we talk about the ending? Of course we can. About what he made of the ending. Uh, about mm. what we made of the ending, or what? Yeah, yeah. Right. No, I'm, I'm just going to really, because I know what I made of the ending. Um, but I'm just really interested to know what you <laughs> made of the, you know, because ultimately he keeps giving birth to himself, and then in back in the house, it's you know James is sort of reincarnated. Yeah, he, he's rebirth. Yeah, her her, um, her ex is the ultimate person given birth to. Uh, yeah. Which, uh, and I suppose. That I mean, Ian, you can go into more detail on this. I think you'll be more articulate. I think a I was just kind of my chin was on the floor. I was a bit gobsmacked by the imagery. I'm just thinking but, the same. I'm I'm but, making the same sort of uh, landed fish kind of. Uh, but, because, uh, but, I'm trying to. I think I think I don't think it landed with me, especially that her ex came back. It hasn't stayed in my head. Well, before you go into it, Ian, I, I just kind of thought, oh, so it's so what is being said is that because obviously the the the, the um, toxic relationship with her ex has tra- has traumatized her and haunted her throughout the film, um, and now we see that her ex is birthed from these these men, and symbolically that meant to me, ah, oh, so he was a product of this system which is just going on mm-hmm. um, and in a way that that was kind of a disappointing ending and a bit depressing you know mm. um, men they're all the same well because it could be yeah it could be um, reduced to yeah. the, what did you think Kirsty I for me it's just the fact the kind of final moment really was struck me and actually they're going to scenes with James that sort of bookend the film well not bookend the film because I know they're kind of but they, you know, it feels like that's the, 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 you know, the kind of argument with James, which leads to suicide, mm. and then the end scene, or you know, so yeah, bookends. Um, and with, so just processing. Uh, whew, uh, the, the, and I'm going to get personal now. So this is where I went to group therapy. The, um, the bit at the beginning where you know obviously they're, they're arguing and she's trying to kind of you know end the relationship and he says if you know if you break up with me um yeah i'll kill myself yeah. mm-hmm. um really powerful scene yeah way. it is really powerful mm-hmm. um and what i know from personal experience and from talking to female friends is you know that a lot of us have been in that situation right. where that has been a threat that has been made mm-hmm. and that's you know, that's really to just sort of see that writ large, you know, I've not, oh, I can't think of other films that have done that, mm. but I felt like that felt like a really sort of resonant moment for me personally. Mm. And, and mm-hmm. I know for others. And then at the end, when, we kind of, when he kind of comes back and there's a moment and I, I haven't seen the film as, as recently as you, you guys have, but my recollection of it is, you know, it's like they both sort of sit down and she sort of said, she asks him what, what he want and wants and he, just sort of gives her this sort of like knowing look and it what it felt is that like all of that abuse and that talk you know torture and the demand for attention that we get all the way through from these men towards her is just it's just that it's just you know it's just that sort of sense of wanting attention and wanting you know 
acceptance and ultimately love despite all of the kind of abuses mm-hmm. and that just you know that felt like like it wasn't like surface level like oh here's the final moment and you know fuck off at the cinema Ooh. but it felt like a really for me kind of like god that's depressing <laughs> Yeah. yeah, but if that for me is you know, or at least again, and I know other people have read this that way, that sort of sense of, gosh, really, is that then? This is how you're going about getting our approval and our attention. So, or did you feel acceptance like it and... was ultimately sympathetic towards uh, that kind of man then, in saying that he he meant well, really? No, I don't think he means what. I just think that you know that. There's certainly a reading about the way in which the system encourages. But she breaks free. But the, for me, what what seared into my brain was when you said the ending. For me, the ending is obviously her mate turning up and her mate being pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so Jesse Buckley's character sort of breaks free of whatever the, the nightmare mm. and, and goes off with her mate. So, so she gets rid of the toxic men and go, but goes off with a ba- goes yeah. with a pregnant friend. So, yeah. so ultimately, ultimately, it's quite an uplift. Well, I mean, if if it had a narrative that had carried me, it would probably be an uplifting ending. As it was, it mm. was a series of stuff that happened for the last last <laughs> fifty minutes, which, so you know, so it was a, for me. I felt like I it was. I mean, I kept thinking of the Aphex Twin videos. Like, and I don't mind the Aphex <laughs> Twin videos; they're amazing. Um, but you're not watching that to go, "Oh, what's the story going on in this?" You're watching it for a series <laughs> of cool videos, just fucked up music. And I felt a mm. bit like I've just watched a 90-minute version that didn't really matter about the story because I was just watching a bunch of fucked up images. Um, yeah. And they were very good fucked up images, but but I don't know. I mean. You have to be careful not to uh, start reviewing a film in this sort of what I would have done is because there's nothing mm. worse than that. But I I don't massively think I don't know. It's like he half did a story and then he kind of went. Oh, there's loads of shit that doesn't really make sense. But it doesn't matter. Is how it felt. He oh. he might be able to sit there and go. This is exactly what I meant. Um, but I didn't feel like I was in. I didn't. I didn't feel like. I didn't feel like I was in the presence of someone who knew what knew what was going on in their own film. Well, is what it felt like. If I may, may <laughs> be permitted to psychoanalyze Alex Garland for a minute, um, mm-hmm. I, I, I like your take your take on this. I feel like he's still apologising for Ex Machina, in the mm-hmm. sense that Ex Machina is a very good film. I like it. I've seen it more than once. Um, I'd say that was one of his. I'd say that's probably his best film. <laughs> well, maybe, but he, got, you know, I remember he got a lot of criticism for being misogynist, and and at first I didn't get it, and I thought, hang on, it's you know, it's uh, it's got an interesting female character, it's got a kind of complicated discussion of relationships, but then I realised, oh wait a minute, it's a movie which is trying to comment on male female relationships that has no women in it. Because the only women in it are androids built by men. Mm. Um, so then he does Annihilation, yeah, which but... is an all-female military team. Um, and I, I, I like Annihilation. 
I just remember, there's no real reason in the plot why this needs to be an all-female team, is it? Maybe it is in the original book, I don't know. Um, but mm. I just thought, you know, he he, 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 he kind of, it's like a balancing thing. He's like, oh, there were no women in my last film, so I'm going to have mostly women in, women in this film. And now he's, he, he, he's still trying to... He's trying to find different ways of I connecting don't, to I don't, the female. I, I've audience. never, I've never. I mean, we're straying into we're straying into talk about Ex Machina, but I don't. I've never. I don't buy that idea that there's no women in Ex Machina because he didn't yeah, build no, a fucking same. android. It's a female character. It's like saying, "Well, most of the people in Blade Runner aren't real. <laughs> Just uh, androids." She's yeah. still a female character. The, the the characters, the men in Ex Machina are horrible cunts. But they're horrible misogynists. He said no, using that horrible they word. They are, Ian, um, but the, the point is, the point that I'm making is that the movie doesn't hmm. have a female viewpoint. Oh, yeah. But it has an android. He's been built, mm. but he's been built by the male days, and, and then she breaks free. So I, I've got a lot less problem with Ex Machina. I, Ex Machina, I'd say, is his most satisfying film. No, it is. What I'm saying, say. I'm not criticising it as a narrative, and uh, and like you said, we don't want to get too deep into <clears throat> it because we're talking about men. But that what yeah, it, yeah. The, the story is fine, but the point of view, it, it is it's a story all about men. Uh, which mm. feels like it's mm. about women, but it's not. It's all about men. It's about how they see each other and what they try and create. And Kirsty, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, I mean, I just go back to the kind of criticism of Ex Machina. I t- totally get that. I mean, I kind of that there's a sort of sense with Ex Machina um, uh, that he's trying to have his cake and eat it in terms of you know commenting on the male gaze whilst also using the male gaze. Yes. Um, and so it is a bit problematic from that perspective. I, I, I disagree mm. with the idea that there are no female characters because I do think, you know, kind of, there, whilst there are limited characters overall, they, they're they all clearly gendered, whether or not they're real or, you know, mm. the gynoids or not. Um, but um, for this one, I felt much less like it was a... And I think maybe this is because it is so kind of ambiguous in what it's trying to do I felt less like it was a male writer writing a female character for me as a female spectator it felt much more Mm. I could find more truth in it in you know like there's a beautiful scene at the beginning where she goes um on you know she's exploring the area she goes off in a nature walk um which is something I do if I can daily Mm. um and that sort of sense of the background threat (laughs) Right. of men existing in those spaces as something mm-hmm. that is potentially threatening is something that, again, I deal with every day in my life, you know. Yeah, I love those um, scenes. I love the first time yeah. film, basically. It's just when it became... <clears throat> it, it's when it became apparent to me that this was just going to not actually have a story. Mm. It, it, when, when you, you know, anyone can set something up to feel like it's going to have a story. Yeah. What's really hard to do is actually have the story, and he decided not to bother. Is how it seemed to me. Um, but does does it need a story though? I mean, no, like, so, for me, so, it did. So I it guess it was, need... it was it was a mood, and it was a theme. It was basically, yeah. um, and, and it, it, I don't know if that's what he wanted to do with all this stuff. Then I guess that's that was his choice. But I found it less than satisfying because of that. 
Okay. Like you say, we talk about Vertigo. Vertigo's got a really good fucking plot that you hang all these things off. This didn't have a really yeah. good plot. It just it just has a theme and a has a theme and a mood. And okay. then and then and then a, and then a sort of feels like a setup, and then it just sort of fades up, fades away. That's that's not that that might be good in some ways, but it doesn't it doesn't make it amazing. <laughs> it makes it a, prob- a, a film that's not as good as I it could have been for me. I do think it was a to a certain extent it was a good character piece and exploration of this one woman and her trauma. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. all, all the guys. In a way, if you wanted to interpret it in a literal way, I mean, it, it would be something horribly simple, like you know, it's it's all in her head or whatever. Um, but the, the 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 fact is that the male characters in it are not important in the way she is. Uh, we we're seeing we're getting her viewpoint, even though weirdly mm. we see that all the men are the same and she can't. But you know, we we are working through her trauma at the same time as she is, mm. and I think that's the most successful stuff. I I think you really, uh, you really feel with her, and you feel what she uh, goes through. Um, and the, like you say, Kirsty, um, I I think it feels authentic. Um, I don't think she feels like she's she's a puppeted character by a male writer i think she feels like a, a real person um it's just kind of the mechanics of what's going on around her that are mm-hmm. let, let's say perplexing um but at the same time it, um do you need a really complex story when it's essentially this if the film has a story it's um woman is learning to deal with ingrained trauma and um yeah and it doesn't need a complex story but it just needs it just no. needs a it needs a story not just the beginning can, of a story yeah. and then no ending <laughs> can i connect this to so i was just thinking is yeah dan as you were talking um mm-hmm. the, is a sort of well, I don't know why, but my brain is only just connecting these things down. Is it felt a little bit like um, Antichrist? Oh, right. In that, you know, with Antichrist is also about kind of dealing with trauma. Um, for me, where Antichrist fell down as a film was when it, in the second half, gave itself over too much to genre. Okay. In when it becomes sort of you know kind of a couple, you know one one attacker one victim right you know mm. um and into the kind of violence and i think that you know for me if whilst it was spectacular and was clearly you know kind of ideologically quite rich in terms of what what i felt i could see in it that it did fall down for me a little bit when we get into that kind of you know home invasion section okay as stylish and as impressive as it was, it did feel a little bit like, okay, we're just, you know, he's leaning into the genre element. Whereas, you know, potentially there was a more interesting way through that part of the film. Mm. Um, that could have still ended up with Rory Kinnear repeatedly giving birth to himself. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, you know, but that, yeah, kind of the bit with the bit with the priest in the bathroom was a bit, and then, you know, the kind of boy as well. Uh, yeah, let's just say because we can only say this in spoilers. It's not a very 
uh, rich thing, uh, kind of very deep thing to to observe. But I loved the um, the recurrent image of <coughs> as as Ian termed it the bifurcated hand and the way that yes uh, oh, all, God, all, yeah. all the characters are linked by having this split open hand and also yeah. I, I really like the character the sort of nice posh knob uh, I think Mark Kermode described him Jeffrey. as Tim Nice but Tim yes Jeffrey yeah he, he is quite nice and sympathetic um, and until he's not well <laughs> I kept thinking of Harry Enfield and Chums a lot when I was watching this, mixed with maybe a bit of maybe a bit of Monty Python. Yeah, and I think that's where Little Britain you mentioned as well. Lost me a bit. A little bit of what? Little Britain you mentioned. Yeah, Little Britain. Yeah, that was the one that I said while we were watching it. So, I th- you know, there were there were quite a lot of things pulling in different directions, and that that makes for a whoa fucked up film. But it, it's, it's. I'm, I'm questionable of how much of that was intentional and how much of it was just we've got some mad stuff. We're gonna, just gonna throw it out and uh, see what effect it has on the. I, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't. I'm not convinced that Garland had had complete control over this movie, or had, you know, the, the effects this movie were having were intended. <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense. Like, does he does he does he does he think it's as funny and stupid as uh, as I do? Like, you know, I would I would pay money for uh, to 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 sit down and listen to Alex Garland and and you talk about this for <laughs> possibly. Well, I think, I, I, think in a bo- I think in a boxing ring. <laughs> I've never, I've never, yeah, I've never met the man, but I'm quite intimidated by him. So I don't know if it would be a fair argument, because um, he's, I'm, I just get the impression he's, he, he could probably punch me. Um, I don't know why, I think, <laughs> but, uh, but uh, maybe it's just, but uh, but yeah, he's a, he's, a, I find him a very frustrating filmmaker because I like, it's like. Every time one of his movies comes out, I'm like, that sounds right up my street. And then most of the time it isn't quite right up my street. It's it's like, it's almost there. And, you know, and I think Ex Machina was almost the one where it, almost, you know, where it got me, got the closest. And devs, devs are liked on TV as well. Um, except, again, it came down to quite a small thing all this big stuff, but it came down to some guy with a beard who wanted to keep his daughter going. Yeah. <laughs> He's really interested in grief, though. Yeah, but I think there's too much of this sort of stuff in, you know, in in modern movies where they have the big thing and they, and and it's, you know, like, I, I, I you know, I don't know, I'm going to start slagging off Tarantino again. But it's like Tarantino is like Scorsese. No, he isn't. Scorsese is much better and much deeper. Tarantino's hollow and surface. And it's and the same with fucking Christopher Nolan. I can't stand his films. And they're, you know, clever films for stupid people. Um, <laughs> Sound bite. Because, um, because you... Because uh, <laughs> you, you, you watch... Because what's been, what's been in my head all the way through this is has been... 
you know, people go, oh, wow, have you seen Interstellar? It's so deep. No, it fucking isn't. It's like it's like this generation's 2001. No, it's, it comes down to it. Love is quite fable. It's not big and huge and universal, and they're checking their fucking emails when they're, oh, I hate it. Um, <laughs> and, and it's the same sort of smallness. The, you know, you don't need, you know, when you make the Wicker Man, you don't need to go, oh, I wonder what his girlfriend's doing. I wonder what he's doing. You just kind of have it there. He's a big fucking, you know, big archetype, having a very simple story that feels like an amazing mood. And this plot, like Vertigo, carries us all the way to the end, and we go, oh, shit, he's been burnt alive in a Wicker Man. And these films that think they're so clever don't do the basic stuff as well, is, is kind of my general takeaway. Things don't quite work from from my tastes. They all look amazing, and, and I, you know, I want, I, I like lots of Interstellar, and then I was ultimately going, oh, for fuck's sake, uh, and I just have that feeling so often with so many films. They're all surface, and they're all so small in their outlook, even though they're pretending to be big. Um, but you know, but Alex Garland isn't quite in that camp. He is, but he, you know, the end of Devs. Uh, did you find Devs a bit disappointing? I mean, I loved it, and I was watching it as a TV thing. But then the ultimate, oh, this is why he's doing it, felt a bit. Could he not no, be doing see, it for I, the big reason? Yeah, but I can. I would think that so, the big reasons so are. Yeah, but it. Well, but it's human, though, isn't it? It's like the you know. Yeah trying to solve a really human relatable kind of emotional problem albeit in a you know fucked up bizarre sci-fi way but ultimately and again i think those for me those big stories are Mm. solved but you know are made sense of Mm. by the kind of human reasoning behind them you know it's like you know kind of frankenstein isn't it it's like why does frankenstein do what he does yeah yeah well that's why ex machina for me was was his most successful film and i think weirdly like you were i'm sort of formulating this on the hoof but weirdly what people find uncomfortable about ex machina is probably because he's not he wrote that script and didn't quite censor himself and so it feels convincingly like what a bunch of tech tech bros would do if they could build androids so it's more realistic it's more emotionally true because it's basically mm. the likes of Zuckerberg, who are misogynistic fuckwits without knowing it, um, making this horrible thing and making, going, well, if you're going to make an android, she's got to be a babe. And they make a babe. So he's not, he in the moment, he wasn't worried about the misogyny of that because they were, those characters are misogynistic. And so weirdly, it's not a overtly misogynistic film. It might be, it might be slightly misogynistic in that the characters are, and he was probably acting a little bit more unpoliced, but he was also making those characters be much more real and the situation more real and more uncomfortable because these horrible men who, you know, masters of the universe also, Mm. well, we're going to make, we're going to make our own version of beautiful, what we think of as beautiful. That's what the Android's going to look like. And then you're left going, well, I have to, cast someone who looks like that <laughs> who looks like a model to be in a you know so it's that's why it's more uncomfortable but I also think ultimately that's why it's much more successful um, as a movie 
Um, and but you know, God bless him because he makes some crazy. He makes some. They're never boring, and I'm always glad they're there. But I, he hasn't for me. He hasn't hit like gold that often. But he's still quite young, though, isn't silver. he, in terms of his career, in his directing career. He's still got time to, you know, you oh, yeah, yeah. about, about, you know, kind of Tarantino or Nolan in comparison to Scorsese, but there's like a, you know, kind of yeah, yeah. gap. There's a good, you know, so, yeah. I think there's a good trajectory as well. I, I don't think he's made a bad film or written a bad film, really, but he's probably not made a really, really great one yet either. He's kind of building up. No, no. Um, no, no. I mean, no, no. It's brilliant, but I, I, for me, they're always, they're always, dis, they're always more interesting to think about than I haven't yet been that sat. You know, the first half of all his films, I really enjoy, um, and then there's just something. Maybe it's just not for me, you know, because it is a taste thing. There's just there's a certain type of thing. Um, I- but I, you know, I love the way they look. I love the themes he plays with. Um, he just never, never quite gets there. I think my... maybe in building on your point about the the narrative and the scripts, and also what you said in response to that, Kirsty, like a lot of these movies, um, such as these ones, uh, the Ian mentioned and the Nolan films and all that, it's like they have a storyline. Um, and a setup, and then they, they they reveal what the emotional nub is. Uh, and to the writer, and I can say this because I'd probably feel like this if I was trying to write it. You kind of go, mm. "Oh, we've done it, great!" And uh, and and maybe it needs more than that. I mean, for in, in this film, I, th- I I feel like it's missing sort of twenty minutes towards the end. I think just about where the home invasion mm. stuff kicks in. There should be more complicated things going on that knit it all together, and then we have the mm. the multiple birth sequence. But it kind of jumps straight to that almost, and you're left mm. going a bit. All oh, right, is that? Yeah, it? It, um, it felt it felt like it was making it up as it went along, and we just got. It wasn't like here's this amazing, you know. Like I love I love Midsummer. Um, I really love Midsummer. I've watched it so many times. I, you know, I didn't like, I didn't, I didn't like uh, Hereditary. Uh, Hereditary. Mm-hmm. Um, even though, even though I really liked it to start with, I didn't ultimately like it. Um, but I just thought Midsummer was just hilarious. Like I really liked it. It was so funny, and <laughs> the energy of it, and and it was lo- and it and its pacing was brilliant. And when it gets to the end. Of midsummer, it's just oh yeah, you're taking your time. This is going on, I'm, and I'm going. Can't believe what I'm watching, but I know where it's come from. It was earned, you know. Yeah. And we won't spoil it because no one's tuned in. But the end what? of midsummer is just that, that yeah, but laughing with, my head off and going with midsummer. The, fuck? the kind of emotion. <laughs> and it felt earned. This was this was like this was just what the fuck. But it came from kind of came from nowhere. It kind of was just happening because, because it was now. Well, <laughs> is how it, you, it's how it felt. Um, I know what you're saying. I think it does. The ending does grow out of what the film already was and the themes that it was exploring, um, and the trauma of the character. I just think it, 
like I said a minute ago, it just needed a few more steps to get there to feel kind of really satisfying. Um, yeah. yeah, we've only got to... that, and that that shift towards the end where it sort of it sort of goes into slightly more kind of cosmic horror styling. That that's mm. the place where that for me I'd want to see more. Yeah, kind of you know sketching, not sketching, yeah. more work around. I mean, I quite if there was a you know a, a, an extended cut of this. I'd quite happily sit down and watch it for three hours. Quite happily. Is it really three hours long? No, no, it isn't. I'm right. saying if there was. Oh, if there was. If there was a three-hour yeah. extended cut, yeah. I would watch that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me too. Well, some, me too. Sometimes, sometimes films have been, you know, cut down when they shouldn't have been. And other times they're left to run too long. And, you know, this is all part of the art of it, isn't it? But mm. I would, I would actually... Yeah, you're right. I, I, I enjoyed being in the world. And I was really enjoying it. It just like it, it was a bit abrupt. Like like we've all kind of seemed to have reached agreement on it, it was a bit abrupt. Yeah, well, and actually, actually I could have done with a lot more weirdness and a lot long more creeping dread and then oh wow, we really are going into a nightmare now. And then maybe I wouldn't have minded as much. It just felt a bit abrupt. Here he comes across the lawn. I'm giving birth fifty times. There the end. Um, I, <laughs> I did have the thought while we were watching that that it felt like kind of Pacey Tarkovsky. It reminded me of Andrei Tarkovsky's Stalker and like mysterious people wandering yeah. round, round in woods and things. Um, but I thought, oh, but I'm enjoying this. It's it's a lot pacier because I struggle with Tarkovsky a bit. Um, <laughs> but but you know maybe it, it could have done with being a bit more Tarko as. Um, uh, our old uni friend Kev would have said, "Taco is is where it's at." So. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's weird because um, I thought you said Darko because there was a little bit of Donnie Darko in, mm. in, in yeah. not so much in this film, but just in the way that was a film that different versions of it to find the best shape of quite a weird movie. Yeah, um, and and maybe maybe what it is is they didn't find the right shape, probably from what I can see on the actual, you know, in the script, they didn't find the right shape. Um, cause, or, or if they did have it in the script, they didn't shoot it at all. Um, or if they did shoot it, they cut it all out. Um, so yeah, it is, it is, it's, 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 I don't know for me to be a really good film that I want to watch loads and loads of times, it has to be a bit, more, for me, it feels like a curia exercise, but it doesn't have doesn't have loads of other reasons for me to really want to watch it a lot and and love it. Whereas I've watched Ex Machina a lot of times. Yes, yeah. it it knows what it is. It knows what its plot is. Its plot is fairly simple. Its themes are big. It looks gorgeous, um, and it knows where it's it knows what its destination is, and it's a satisfying. You know, four-star movie for me. <laughs> now, no, Ex Machina is a gorgeous Outer Limits episode. Yeah, yeah. Just no, works no. perfectly. Um, we've only got a few minutes left, so yeah, yeah. Kirsty, is there anything you'd like to yeah. say in closing on this? Uh, no, I, I, I like. I've only seen the film once. I really want to see it again, and I, I love a film where I look at it and go, oh, I really want to dig into, you know, the meanings behind mm. little bits of this and the kind of references and different things. So for me, mm. that's my kind of takeaway is it's a film that I think I will enjoy 
you know, devouring devouring seems like the right word. Um, more. Yeah. I'd, I'd like <laughs> more in future yeah. and thinking about more. I'd like to do that too, and I'd like to have another conversation with you when we've both watched it mm. again because um, yeah, uh, I I'm intrigued by what you said about Jeffrey when I said he was nice, and you said until he isn't. I mean, because um, I. Although yeah, he, he he's an objectionable guy, but I think he's quite well. He's fairly well intentioned. But I remember that he seems to disappear before the home invasion stuff. Mm. Uh, you know, all the characters who are inside the house doing nasty things are not him. Obviously, it's always Kinnear, but Jeffrey's kind of disappeared, yeah. and I wondered what is it. He gets is he not in the car he? at the end? Oh uh, yeah yeah oh yeah I forgot about that. Right, yeah. right, yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. She, just, she, she, yeah. She hit some of the car, didn't she? Mm. That, yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. I've yeah. forgotten that moment. Okay. Yeah. But I, it... I think, yeah, there's two there's little bit, and obviously we haven't even mentioned uh, League of Gentlemen. There was too many of those sort falls. of things in my head. Hot falls as well. You'll never leave. We we sort of said you'll never leave when when Jeffrey Jeffrey's blocking the road, you know it's it's. Mm, I think so. it's it, it's a little it's bit a, disappointing if something reminds you of so much previous stuff and then it doesn't go and on those stuff to are, and those things are t- those things are pastiche as well. But but also then, then uh, it, it doesn't. <laughs> I mean, but the thing is hot. Fuzz is a pastiche, but it goes on. It yeah. goes beyond that and becomes its own thing. So now people go, it's like Hot Fuzz, and it's become a thing. Whereas Men doesn't feel like it really fully yeah. realizes itself. It's just yeah, yeah, and Hot Fuzz as well. Uh, yeah, yeah. Apart from in moments. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I think it's taking itself very seriously, which is maybe something that you can always level at Alex Garland. Is uh, is uh, he takes himself a bit seriously. Yeah, um, I'm okay yeah. with that, but yeah, yeah, I agree. not necessarily about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but... no, no, but um, but it's maybe maybe uh, a little po-faced. I think that's why I really like Devs because the characters. I think he's suited being on a TV, TV series. His characters had room to breathe. Um, mm, yeah, I agree. I'd almost say Devs was his best thing. Yeah, I found it compulsive. Yeah, I, yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah, I loved it. I wasn't yeah. like I said, I wasn't entirely so. I'd, I'd like to watch it again, but generally, I went, "Oh, this is really, I really, this is really cool." Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Yeah. A, but yeah, but men, I'm, I'm, I feel, I feel, I feel almost like mean for saying because there's so much good stuff in it, but I feel almost mean. Can't help but feel it was dissatisfying for me. But I, so. I think we're all saying that we'd watch it again, though. And yeah. maybe that's the point. Uh, with someone who hasn't seen it before. Um, but I yeah, wouldn't... I've yet to watch it with Sven, which I'm actually really looking forward to doing. And I, okay, wouldn't, I wouldn't say to Kelly, because Kelly doesn't like horror movies anyway, and I don't think she'd go... Like, I've got her to watch The Exorcist and she could appreciate that The Exorcist was a masterpiece even though it gave her four panic attacks. Whereas this, you go, why did you make me watch that piece of shit? (laughs) It's probably what her her response will be. I won't be thanked for putting her through this, I don't think. So I'll have to find someone else to rewatch it with. 
Well, maybe we'll anyway. return to it on a future podcast, but I think oh, we'll it is it. now. Yeah, yeah. Now, now well, we, should, we, should do, we should do more Garland. I'd like to have a... I'd, I'd like to have a... Garland. Know, excuse to rewatch watch uh, Well, and, uh, Annihilation, I wasn't, I wasn't bothered by ever. <laughs> well, I, I think I, they're I, all I didn't like the destination of that. Yeah, yeah. I'd happily yeah. rewatch any of them, but... Um, yeah, so maybe I'd like to see Alex thing. Garland do a H.P. Lovecraft proper fuck off cosmic horror. Kirsty's nodding. Yeah. Yes, yes, absolutely. I'm mean, down for that, although I do not feel that like he would because you know he likes to. Lie. Well, he did Judge Dredd and Zombie. Yeah, 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 yeah. So and I, and I know. Probably... I just like I think he he I think his vision for himself is very much. I, I'm I'm writing this. It's mine. Yeah, uh, yeah. Although Annihilation was based on a book, yeah. wasn't it? So he does adapt things. I don't know how. I've, I'm not familiar with the book, so I don't know how close it was. Mm. Um, he could remake the but, beach as well. So because uh, the the novel of that is just amazing. It's like a really you know it launched his career because it's uh, it you know it's it's a amazing page turner. It, you know I'm a bit older than you guys, but it was just wow, all of the backpacking age, and this was our little amazing book so yeah but anyway we yes. are rambling now yes and we definitely come to the end <laughs> but i think you make a good point about lovecraft i think that feels like the natural halfway house between this end of what alex garland's done and yeah. his other stuff so so i'd be yeah. up for that well, maybe anyway. something lovecraftian that's not actually lovecraft well that before. seems yes. to be seems that's to be the coming thing. thing um yeah. yeah. So let's sew it up then. Let's sew up men. Is were you going to say something else there, Kirsty? No, it was just, the the Lovecraftian bit isn't Lovecraft. Um, I've got a recommendation which is uh, it's a bit old now, but Archive eighty one on Netflix on Netflix. Okay. Oh, good. Right. I um, shall put. I've not. I've I'll put not that seen in that. there. I've I've got yeah. Netflix at the moment, so that'll be fun. Okay. Nice one. Mm-hmm. All right. That's a recommendation for this week. Uh, whichever week this ends up going out. This goes out. Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I hope it's still on Netflix by the time this comes out. Yeah. I'll check. It should be. Yeah. Um, yeah. Can we can we fade out to it's raining men? And uh, yes, because I, I kept singing that all the way through it as well. That's beautiful. Well, you know, I think we are, I think that the waters of it's raining men are, are reaching out our necks as we speak. So hallelujah. <laughs> Bye, everybody, help me! It's raining, Rory. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, well, hope you enjoyed our discussion of men. So, next week, I'm going to be joined by our resident Doctor of Horror, the film lecturer, Stella Gaynor, to talk about the subgenre of body horror as it's appeared in cinema and television over the years so hope you'll join us for that in the meantime have a nice halloween weekend we normally end the show with recommendations for viewing and mine given the uh, occasion of this weekend um, is simply to direct you all to watch the schedules of legend the channel formerly known as the horror channel on uk freeview it's going to be doing its marathon of universal horror movies from the 30s and 40s this is something that's happened before um, and once again I'll be uh, I'll be checking some out I think I'm going to 
be setting the recorder for The Invisible Man, which I think is on the Sunday before Halloween itself. Um, but there are movies throughout the weekend, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, so check your schedules for those. And whatever you're doing on Halloween itself, which is three days away as I record this, I hope you have a wonderful spooky time. I had to go out yesterday delivering some leaflets and was delighted by the um, Halloween decorations put up by several of my neighbours in the local area. So um, it should be a fun time for the trick-or-treaters around where I live and I hope that you have something similarly festive planned for your Halloween evening. Alright, have fun folks and you'll hear more from me and Stella next week. Bye-bye! You have been listening to And Now the Podcast Starts Produced and released by Ambidextrous Solutions Limited Presented by Kirsty Warrow, Ian Winterton and T.D. Velasquez Special thanks to Greg Hume for our original theme music and to Brian Gorman for our original artwork. All dialogue and music clips from films, TV shows and trailers are used for the purposes of criticism in the spirit of fair dealing as defined in UK law and fair use as defined in US law. No copyright infringement is intended. Please visit our home on the web www.andnowpodcast.com for more content and contact details. Or visit our Facebook pages at and now Pod or at Lee Cushing Pod. Follow us on Twitter at and now Podcast or at Lee Cushing Podcast. If you'd like to donate to us, please visit patreon.com forward slash and now Podcast. And now the podcast stops.